How does a summer vacation in multiple countries sound? Road trip across the United States? Spending a month in the Bahamas? Learn how one family of five plans and travel hacks these epic trips so that they're getting an incredible deal. Welcome to Simplify and Enjoy, the podcast and community focused on helping families have less stress and more options through minimalism and financial independence. I'm your host, El Martinez. This podcast is sponsored by Coastal Credit Union. Coastal's mission is to help you live a better life by offering you a better way to bank. Find out how at bankbetter.org. Last week, we discovered the risks and rewards of travel hacking with credit cards. This week, we're going to dive into the other side, the logistics of planning your actual trip. That's why I'm thrilled Justin from Word to Good is on the show today. I interviewed him years ago on Couple Money when he shared how he and his wife were able to retire in their early 30s with three kids. As you heard at the top of the show, he and his family have gone on some incredible family vacations. Here's the thing, though. They're actually more affordable than you realize. Part of their strategy does include using credit card rewards, but it's so much more than that. Justin scours for deals looks at different sites to make sure that he's optimizing even smaller details like eating out around town. Those are expenses that can quickly add up. In this episode, we're going to get into how to plan for family vacations with kids, finding deals on flights, hotels, and your transportation, and then getting the most value out of the experience while still relaxing and enjoying your time together. Are you ready? Let's get started. I, I have to say, like when I think of fun travel, especially when you have kids, you're at the top of the list. So I'm so glad to chat with you about this today. Glad to be here. Yeah, and I agree. I think traveling is one of those things that if you enjoy doing it, that's why you're saving your money, why you're budgeting, why you're investing and trying to build up you know, your savings as to go out and do fun things. Travel is one of those things. Yeah. And for those that may not be familiar with your story and everything. I find it fascinating. You guys are already retired in your early 30s mm-hmm. and you're known for you know, optimizing your spending that, correct me if I'm wrong, usually it's about you know 40,000 or less per year that you guys spend as a family with your regular expenses and everything. Yeah, pretty much. I live here in Raleigh. We own our house. The mortgage is paid off. So no mortgage obviously makes it a lot easier to spend 40000 per year. I know if folks that are paying rent or paying mortgages, we mm-hmm. probably spend closer to 60000 per year just, just, with, just with the extra housing payments. But we're fortunate to live in a relatively reasonable cost of living area yeah. and kind of get by on a relatively small amount of money. I know things are changing very fast in Raleigh. It's like every other week. I see a house for sale within a day or two, it's gone and snatched up and the prices they're paying is crazy. But yeah, we're winding down on our mortgage. We're counting down. So I can't wait to join you with the Mortgage Free Club. Yep. (laughs) Feels good. Feels good. For someone, you know, that's known for being frugal and you can spend your money everywhere. Why do you guys choose to spend this on travel? Why is travel so important to you? Especially with three kids. Some people feel like, it's more stressful going on vacation with three kids. It can be with three kids. And for travel, why do we do it? I've always Mm -hmm. had the travel bug since I was a a kid. I really wanted to get out, get overseas, see different places, um, 
experience new cultures. Uh, you know, in school, I took Spanish, actually got a degree in Spanish along with the engineering degree. So did a study abroad and you know, went to Mexico, been down there several times now for several months at a time. Just always been interested in doing it, broaden your horizons, try out different foods, see different sites, enjoy nature, different parts of the world that we don't have around here. Beaches, yeah. mountains, rivers, that kind of thing. I enjoy you know, going on the city visits as well. So that's kind of the, the why. And with kids, yeah. I agree, it can be very stressful. I think it's really sort of adjust your expectations for what you can do <laughs> on vacation. And then you have to think, what are your goals? Is it you know, is it visiting Disney? That's a very different trip than going camping for a week. That's a very different trip than going on a cruise for a week, visiting Europe for the summer or, or two weeks yeah. or whatever you could manage to do. Um, are you trying to get out in nature, trying to go up in the mountains? Are you going skiing somewhere? Are you trying to visit the city? Are you, you want to go to museums? I think when you're traveling with kids, there's, I try to figure out some equation and I think you get you get roughly the number of hours per day of, of sightseeing equal to the age of your youngest kid. Uh, if you have a one, one or two year old, you're probably good for an hour or two per day of sightseeing between the, the breakdowns, just having to have nap time and kid falling asleep and they're worn yeah. out, they're exhausted. For a one or two year old, you know, really don't plan on going out and doing eight hours of sightseeing every single day. The kid's four or five years old, maybe you can squeeze in, you know, a half day of, of traveling and mm -hmm. then you might have to go back to the hotel and rest in the middle of the day to kind of reboot, stop for more ice cream, stop for more rest breaks. Once your kid's maybe eight years old, nine years old, mm -hmm. then they're kind of able to do pretty much a full day of, of traveling and sightseeing. So that's, that's certainly what we've experienced um, with our kids. Sometimes it feels like they're difficult at, at times and they don't get along all the time, but it's probably pretty typical for what most families experience. The main thing is just not mm -hmm. overscheduling, not overdoing it. If you're doing one of those sightseeing vacations, we try to keep it kind of slower paced and have some, we usually build in some rest days. So that's one thing we have, let's say a typical week, we'll go yeah. somewhere and stay for a week in an Airbnb and we'll program in about four days of sightseeing. And then about two days of, we call them do nothing days where we just hang out at the Airbnb, relax, kids can get on their uh, tablets or phones and computers and play games, you know, maybe go out for dinner, just relax, take it easy for at least a day or two uh, per week. Yeah. I like those ratios. We might try that out for our next vacation because we're trying to find a rhythm. I think like many families, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm not a type A in, in normal day to day, but like vacations, I want to get a lot of stuff done. My mm -hmm. husband's the opposite. He could be on the beach. So that Bahama trip I was reading that you guys took, but that's his speed. He loves that. So it's finding that balance to work with everybody. But you bring up some really good points. I think one of the hesitations that may stop families from planning a trip that they enjoy is because they think it will be expensive. True. You brought up, it depends on the vacation that you go on. I was for cost analysis and kind of comparing. I saw that you went in the Bahamas in the grand total with airfare. And I know you did some travel hacking of uh, food and lodging came out to 3000 and that was okay. one month down there. Then yeah. if you go to Disney world with the standard room, this is one of the discounts. I mean, the next lowest tier would be like the campgrounds all inclusive. It would be $3,000 for five days. Yep. Sounds yeah. about right. I think sometimes we think because it is expensive or this price for this type of vacation, that means if I wanted to spend a week or two weeks somewhere or even longer, it was going to be the same amount. But you've managed to do this 
with travel hacking and then just planning, I want to pick your brain a little bit about this. First on the travel hacking side, how does that work for you? Because I know some people are really into it and they have a ton of credit cards and they're churning and doing the spreadsheets and others are more low key with it. Yeah. So for us, travel hacking, what does that mean? This (laughs) is getting credit cards that have big sign up bonuses, getting credit cards that have beneficial features to them, you know, gold status, platinum status at various hotels, airlines, priority pass access with a lot of these premium credit cards, getting access to those lounges in the airports where you can, if you have a long layover, you get to stay, drink top shelf liquor, eat nice food, hang out in a nice area. It's great with kids too. They like it and getting the hot chocolate or the little fancy drinks from the Nescafe machine. So we do some of the travel hacking. Obviously, it helps drive down costs. Free flights are a very common thing that we're getting. We're essentially just paying flights to Florida for Disney World, for example. Uh, We would pay about $11 round trip and use points for the best of the taxes per person. And then use points for the rest of them. There's, you know, there's lots of non-stops or very short flights here from North Carolina down there. So we fly to Florida for cruises quite a bit. So that's a good example of how you can cut costs. Trip to the Bahamas is a great example for us. We went down there for a month and we spent $3,000. Most of that was just lodging and the flights yeah. down there. I can't remember exactly. I think it was maybe $100 per person in taxes. The Bahamas have a, has a pretty high... Uh, departure, but the flights themselves were were free other than taxes. That probably saved us, I think, peak season. This We flew down there in the summertime, so probably about $500 per person, so about $2,500 wow. for a family of five. So that, you know, that, that, that cut the cost in half for the whole trip. Yeah. We flew down there. I think the guy from the Airbnb actually picked us up in his truck and t- took us to the Airbnb. One of the things we have is flexibility with time because we're both retired early. We decided we were looking for a place for about two weeks, oceanfront somewhere in the Caribbean. That was kind of the framework for the trip we started out with. We started looking around and we found this really nice place. And it was for two weeks, it was a pretty nice price. And I noticed they had a monthly discount. And so I, I nice. put in, what does it cost for a whole month? It turns out the monthly discount was 50%. So we essentially said, okay, well, we can just stay for two weeks longer. And the cost for lodging doesn't go up. It's a free two weeks vacation. That's in crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's really when we're like, well, I don't know. It feels like a long time to just hang out in one place, but they have Wi-Fi and have air conditioning and we can just hang out. If we get bored, we'll just do what we do at home, watch Netflix, hang out, go for walks, just pass the time if we have to. It was pretty neat to be able to upgrade from a two-week vacation to a four-week vacation without really paying anything extra. Looking for deals like that, where if you can stay for another day or two, Airbnb, we use that a lot. But one of the tricks there is they often have long-term stay discounts starting okay. at a week. And some of them ha- even have five or six days. They'll give you a you know five or 10% discount. Hosts can set that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a weekly discount, I've seen you know five or 10% discount, sometimes 20%, 30% discount. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can ask for it, you know, negotiate with the host if you're planning on staying for a whole week, see if see if they would be willing to knock off uh, 10%, 20%, ask for a free if you want to do that. Monthly discounts, we've also seen those where uh, 50% off in the Bahamas. Uh, that is incredible. It, you know, typically, it's 20 <laughs> or 30% off if you're staying for a month somewhere. But you can always look and see what kind of deals are out there if you, if you have the flexibility to stay longer term. With all of everybody working from home now, more commonly, you know, take the family down to the Bahamas for a month if you can afford to, to do that and get half off. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I think that is surprising for some people because, of course, as you bring out, there's the airfare. And if you can travel hack, that's fantastic. 
typically that's the biggest upfront cost, but you can find some affordable, whether it's Airbnb or hotel deals, but yeah, to get an extra two weeks, basically for nothing more. Wow. I mean, talk about epic vacations. I want to get into a little more of the planning. First Mm -hmm. of all, how do you choose the destinations? Is it more of what's on sale? You know, the kids are on break. I know you do a lot of summer epic trips. Or is it, we want to do this and we're going to try to make the arrangements around this destination? Yeah, it's mostly now we're mostly deciding on where we want to go and then trying to figure out how to make it work and a reasonable cost. And I, I think you can make it work anywhere in the world, just about. It's just harder in the more expensive places. Some of it is just if we're wanting to just have one of those weeks where we don't do a whole lot and just relax. Well, maybe we get out of the city, go somewhere where it's a little mm-hmm. bit cheaper. We've done this. Uh, we're planning our Europe trip. We already got it planned pretty much for 2022. Yeah. And we have like a five-day, actually turned into a six-day mini break in the middle of the vacation where we're staying out in the mountains outside of Zagreb, Croatia, a little nice. four or five bedroom house we rented on a farm wow. in a village that there's you know, probably 20 or 30 houses there. Kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's it's 15 or 20 minutes from the nearest town where there's a grocery store and and there's a little restaurant inside the 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 Airbnb. So hopefully I think they'll do custom meals for us, even though they're only open on the weekends. So that they're like, hey, yeah, just let us know. We'll cook dinner for you. I think we have to pay for it, but it's experience <laughs> to, to have a home cooked meal on a little uh, farm out in the countryside in Croatia. And the costs are it's the the price of a fast food combo. It's not like we're paying a premium for this pretty interesting experience out here. The whole goal of this in the middle of vacation is just to kind of uh, chill out, hang out and relax. Circling back to your to your question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it really comes down to, for us, it, how can we economize once we know what we want to mm-hmm. do and the scope of it and, and where we want to visit, economizing when we can and also doing the things that cost money because we want to do those mm-hmm. and enjoy them. It's all about balance where if you want to stay in five-star accommodations every single night of your month-long vacation in Europe, if you want to stay in a nice hotel every single night, well, you're going to pay for it. If you have the money for it, it's good. You can definitely <laughs> do that. 200 bucks a night times 30 nights for a month. You know, that's that's $6,000. Not unreasonable for a trip of a lifetime, but you're, you're going to certainly pay up for it. We're spending close to that much on Airbnbs in a few places in Europe, not even in Paris or London. This is in in Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia for oh, the okay. summer. A part of that's just inflation and high demand over there. And, and some of it's being in the exact areas we want to be in just for to make it easier to travel to places during the day. It's like three bedroom houses, pretty nice, mm-hmm. good reviews on Airbnb, plenty of places for the kids to spread out, go to sleep. You can always find places that are one bedrooms that have sleeper sofas. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we could do it a lot cheaper, but we've just decided overall it's worth it to upgrade the accommodations. We're still paying less than 200 per night everywhere we're staying, yeah. uh, including including Budapest, which is a capital city, one of the more expensive places we're staying, but it's like a big four-bedroom penthouse apartment right in the middle of town. I think it ended up being about 175 a night. So really not that much more than mm-hmm. you know than a nice hotel in, in most capital cities. Really, by American standards now, 175 a night for hotels really won't get you a whole lot in a lot of places yeah. anymore, uh, especially during peak season, you know, summertime or spring break. It feels like a really good value overall for mm-hmm. what we're getting, but not, you know, it's not one of those places where we're absolutely trying to, to save every penny. We probably could have got lodging for about 100 bucks a night, but it's one of those 
value questions. You know, are you trying to save every penny? Do you want to stretch your vacation dollars as far as possible? Or do you want to try to get a little nicer place that that's more comfortable? And we're going to be there for nine nights in the city. So this was one of those decisions where we said, okay, let's just pay more money, have a nicer place. We can relax. We can take a few days off from the hard hitting vacation sightseeing, <laughs> just you know, hang out in a nice place during the day. Airfare is another big one. Check out mm-hmm. cities nearby where you're flying into. Sometimes we will sort of look at it and say, okay, let's skip that destination because the airfare is crazy, but there's plenty of availability in this other country or this other city nearby. We'll go visit that, that other city where it's hard to get there now. We'll go visit yeah. that city later. We do sort of inform the particular cities or, or mm-hmm. locations we're visiting based on the costs. If you have must-see places you want to go visit, you may end up paying more for it. Therefore, if you're more flexible, you might be able to, to save some on, on your travel that way. Yeah, absolutely. I was impressed because you had different types of trips besides the the Bahamas. I saw like Cambodia, Thailand. You did another European trip. It was not nine weeks. There's a lot of logistics involved. I'm glad you kind of broke down what you're looking for with value because I I feel the same way. Like when we were first married, we would go the cheapest route. It was just the two of us. Then you have kids and then we're paying a little bit more to have a kitchenette, you know, Mm -hmm. the hotels with the kitchen suite and then Airbnb the value is there when we're tired and they're excited to have a backyard we can send them out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it just makes it worth it. A lot of times it kind of just, it's a wash money-wise because you're cooking, you're saving, you're not going out every meal on a yeah. trip that it works out. I do want to talk to you, especially with this trip with Europe, because we're thinking about doing something like this too, is the value, in particular, transportation with flights. For example, when you're looking for flights, I see that there's basic, there's economy, there's business class and so forth. Where do you draw the line? Where do you get the most value? Where would you say for parents with kids that are not toddlers, but in that school age of like five to eight, it's worth paying a little extra for a better seat? We usually end up in just the economy section and we've done the way you describe it makes it sound like we've traveled a whole lot. And really we only take maybe a few flights per year during normal times. Now it recently hasn't been as much, but, but we usually just fly in coach. Part of that is just, I feel like it's about a hundred or $200 an hour extra to upgrade to the business seats. If you're paying cash, you know, if you're paying with points, sometimes the points make it so that it's really not much of a extra cost to upgrade to the business class. Um, but I just never can justify spending $100 per hour to sit in a seat that's, you know, this wide instead of a seat that this wide. The extra four inches of yeah. seat and champagne or whatever they serve in business class versus <laughs> orange juice in the back. I, I'm fine sitting in the back because the, the flight to me is just the cost of getting there. It's a little bit mm-hmm. less comfortable if you're sitting in the back. We haven't really upgraded like the economy plus with the extra six mm-hmm. inches of leg room either. I'm normal height, so I'm okay sitting in the back. I just get up and walk around, go to the bathroom 10 times, make, you know, do some laps in, in the seats if I get antsy and want to get up and walk around. Um, we survived, I think it was 16 or 17 hour flight from New York to Hong Kong. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of years ago and with the kids, they did fine. They mostly slept, played on their tablets. They had really good seat back entertainment, lots of movies we watched on there and we made it work in the back versus paying $10,000 extra to sit slightly better, but you're still sitting on a plane for 17 hours, sitting in the business class section would have been a little more comfortable. We slept. Okay. 
the, the plan mm-hmm. for us is, I guess the, to get back to value, the plan for us is usually to just have a day or two on the land somewhere for flying, you know, worrying about uh, jet lag, flying to Asia, you're 12 hours off, flying to Europe, you're five or six hours off. But we usually just plan an extra day at the beginning of the vacation to basically recover from jet lag, really not okay. do lot that first day. Let's say $200 is the cost of an extra hotel or Airbnb when you land mm-hmm. to recover from that, that jet lag. So $200 to have an extra day in Europe, just chilling, relaxing, recovering versus $5,000 or $10,000 to upgrade to business class. To me, it's that $200 mm-hmm. for an extra day in an Airbnb, but we're not worried about work because we're retired. So maybe you know, yeah. this an extra <laughs> That's day. That's a nice bonus. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. you do do the business class if you're really busy and you have, but from a value standpoint, mm-hmm. it's just hard to justify the extra cost for being, for being a little bit more refreshed when you land versus let's just land, take it easy, relax, go to sleep, have an easy first day, and then go do sightseeing on the second full day we're there. That's how we've approached it in the past. And it works out really well to where the kids are worn out, we're worn out. Mm-hmm. If, if we're trying to go out and do sightseeing, we, we did that before, just try to stay awake to handle jet lag. Man, that first day of sightseeing is like, I remember falling up, falling asleep, standing up one time. Uh, wow. riding Portugal. Yeah, I was riding the Metro and it was nine o'clock at night. We were trying to stay up so we can go to bed on a normal schedule. And we were just dead tired. All the seats were taken up. So I let the kids sit down. They fell asleep. Next thing I know, I'm asleep standing up. And that's never happened before, but <laughs> happened there one time in Portugal. I guess we were hitting it pretty hard that day. We wanted to try to stay up. That was the trick was we heard, okay, stay up all day and then go to sleep on the normal schedule. But we were running on three or four hours of sleep because the flight from Raleigh to Portugal was like, I think it was only like seven hours or something. It's really short. Yeah. Or maybe we flew from um, New York or Philadelphia or D- DC maybe. But anyway, it was only a seven hour flight. So really not enough time to eat dinner, fall asleep, wake up, eat breakfast and land. It was you know, just not enough sleep. But anyway, yeah, we try to do, try to do a day or two of rest once we land somewhere just to to recover or yeah. light sightseeing where we're out. We're not out like going to visit a castle or going to a big attraction all day or doing a long hike. It's more of, okay, let's get out and walk. Let's go out and walk two or three blocks, go mm-hmm. to a restaurant, sit down, relax, sit in a park, take it easy, go back to the hotel, take a nap. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so cool. And it's good to know because I know some airlines in the last few years are really trying to cost cut. So, like, my concern was. Looking at tickets, I think we talked about this before we hit the record, was like refundable tickets. Make sure it's refundable so we can switch that out. But I also wanted to ask you, and and this is from like even domestically, looking for Airbnbs. Have you ever had one where it looks great and, and you get there and you're like, that doesn't quite match what we signed up for? Any tips on increasing your chances of getting what you think you signed up for? Yeah, I think... We've learned this the hard way. I've also experienced that where we, uh, the the place that had a trash can full of cat hair balls he was collecting, that was the, the place in, in Quebec, just very bizarre place. Anyway, we were trying to save money and, and this was seven or eight years ago. We first started doing big trips and we were really trying to save money by staying at the cheapest place we could find in town. One tip I would say is to be very cautious about the, the cheapest 20% of the Airbnbs out there. They're often cheap for a reason. Just beware. Look closely at the reviews. Airbnb is a weird one where when I look at hotels, usually if it's a four out of five stars on the review websites, it's pretty good. 3.7 mm-hmm. is kind of my floor of where like I start to question why we're trying to save money if it's below 3.7. 
Airbnb yeah. is different where I think a 4.6 is probably about as low as you want to go unless you're okay. just it is some, yeah. somewhere around there, 4.6, 4.4. It's really a different scale for some reason than your normal mm-hmm. travel reviews on Google or uh, Expedia or booking.com. Most of those places yeah. like eight out of 10, four out of five, those are still really good places usually. A four out of five on Airbnb is usually a place that has a lot of problems. For whatever reason, people don't <laughs> yeah. like to give four stars on Airbnb. So if you ever see a place that only has four out of five stars on Airbnb, it's probably going to be something major wrong with it. Read the reviews, read the comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're looking at summertime in Europe. We want air conditioning. Yeah. So you can search in there, air conditioning, heat, hot, uncomfortable. Yes. Search for those terms. If you see those problems coming up multiple times, it probably means that it's going to be unsatisfactory for you to stay there. A cleanliness, I'm not as careful about that. My wife really cares about that a lot. So we'll look closely at the cleanliness scores. Uh, you know, 4.7, 4.8 is probably the floor mm-hmm. where you want to go unless you want to risk uh, it just not being clean for you. That's something, just look closely at the reviews, focus on what's important to you. And then, and ask questions you can ask questions. We ask that a lot about bedding is just to make sure that like, that bed's a real bed. It's a queen bed. It's not a sleeper sofa. It's not an air mattress. It's an actual bed because we don't want to end up getting there with the kids late at night. And then we find out, oh, well, actually there's a queen bed. And then there's a big pile of blankets for the other three beds that look kind of like beds on the pictures, but they weren't, or they don't show the pictures of the bedrooms. Then you have to just hope that it's what they, what they say it is. I feel like in Europe, there's a little more flexibility for what they call bedrooms and what they call beds compared to the U.S. Seems like the U.S. is pretty standard in terms of what they consider to be bedrooms and beds. Another thing with families is watch out for, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll list the living room as a bedroom. So you might get oh, a two-bedroom okay. place. That's actually a one-bedroom place plus a living room with sleeper sofas. And that may work out. We've done that to save money in Venice where it was just very expensive. And so we booked a one-bedroom with sleeper sofa and the kids stayed in the bedroom where there was three beds. Uh, and we stayed in the living room with a sleeper sofa and we were there there a few nights. It was Cozy, right yeah. in the middle of everything with the canals. It was, it was cool. Probably 500 years old, but just a smaller place. If you're okay with that, it's great. A uh, great way to save money to stay in smaller places. But if you're staying there for a week and you want to have space to spread out and be comfortable, just look at the pictures, look at the descriptions, make sure you're, you're booking. If you want a two-bedroom, make sure there's two actual bedrooms. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Definitely. We've had a couple surprises pleasant. And like you say, sometimes it's just a memorable experience. You have something yeah. you can always joke about as a family. The last thing I want to talk about is transportation. Once you get there, getting around cities, I know know, different countries have different things. Europe, for example, how did you figure out, okay, we're going to do trains and buses here versus let's rent a car and travel? In general, I'm just pricing out what makes sense Mm -hmm. in this individual city, or if we're in the countryside, usually a car makes a lot more sense versus paying for guided tours or paying for hiring hiring a driver for the day. Usually renting a car is is very cost competitive. Gas is more expensive in, in Europe, but mm-hmm. you're also more fuel efficient there. So really the cost per mile is not a whole lot higher than the US. So so in the countryside, if we're if we're doing more of the mountains, hiking, rivers, that kind of stuff, we'll book a car and make sure you book a, an automatic if you don't drive a manual. <laughs> I do not. That's gonna roughly double your cost per day. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, it's worth it to not uh, wear out a clutch and pay pay for that. We'll basically just do a cost comparison between renting a car versus transit. In the cities, When once you add in parking, if you don't have that included at your hotel or Airbnb for free, 
Uh, parking often makes it cheaper to take public transit in cities versus renting a car or or looking at the cost of Ubers. Yeah. Sometimes, especially in, in some cheaper European cities, we found Ubers are incredibly, mm. Portugal comes to mind, Lisbon. I remember we paid, I think, four or five dollars for a, for a single Uber from our apartment to the airport. So five dollars for, for that Uber versus I think it was I think it was a dollar fifty per transit ticket at the time. So it would have been seven dollars fifty cents to take the subway to the airport or five bucks to take an Uber. Obviously it was it ended up being cheaper to take the Uber in that case and more convenient with luggage going to the airport. So so don't don't rule out Uber. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's cheaper than public transit. Public transit can also be very expensive. We've seen places where it's three or four dollars per ride for a single transit ticket to the point where getting a rental car and paying for parking is actually more cost effective if you, you know if you're planning on using it pretty frequently. This really just comes down to what makes the most sense. And rental cars now, the prices are way up as well. So that may yeah. really make them unaffordable versus just taking Ubers or taking public transit if you're in a, in a city. Our general rule of thumb is for city, for stays in cities, usually transit and or Uber visits out to the countryside, rental cars is cheaper. And you can always get a car for a day or two. If you're staying in a city for a week and you want to go out to the mountainside uh, for a day or two, just pick it up first thing in the morning and drop it off late at night or pick it up the night before and drop it off within 24 hours. And you're just paying for one day. So even if it's Fifty or hundred dollars for a day of a uh, car rental, um, mm-hmm. you're able to get out and do this incredible day trip from this place you're staying at for a relatively low cost per person. When you, when you think about it that way with the family, if you're like us, you probably have quite a number of accounts between the two of you, including your old 401ks. It can be difficult to stay on top of everything, especially when your old employer switches providers which is what happened with my husband. Here's where our sponsor Capitalize can help. Capitalize helps you find and roll over an old 401k into an IRA of your choice for free. They handle the entire process. And yes, that includes calling your old employer or the 401k provider on your behalf. If you're ready to make managing your old 401ks much easier, find out more at simplifyandenjoy.com slash capitalize. Before we wrap up, I want to share a few key takeaways I picked up from speaking with Justin. The first is define your destination and your goals with your vacation. What's most important to you? Are you looking for a vacation where you can explore a new city or town, sightsee all the attractions, taste the foods, really get absorbed in the culture? Or are you looking to recharge, getting away from it all, whether it's the beach, the mountains, or a national park? These are all different types of trips, different expectations, and you can do many of them on different budget levels. Define those must-haves. What do you have to do on the vacation that will make you happy? What are some things you don't want to do because it's either too tiring or too stressful? Having a clear idea of what you would like to get out of this vacation can help you better plan and budget for a vacation that you love and that will still keep you on track for your other goals. The second is schedule downtime, especially if you have young kids. This is great advice. Unfortunately, we learned this the hard way. Like I had mentioned to Justin, somehow during vacations, if we're going to someplace new, I definitely want to see a bunch of sites. I want to explore the town. 
And sometimes that can just wear the kids out, which in turn wears you out. So instead, look for buffering those times where everyone can go back to the hotel or your Airbnb and rest. Having it more low-key makes it more enjoyable for them and for you. Finally, if you want to have an epic vacation for less, you're going to have to plan it out. Yes, sometimes those last-minute deals, but when you're talking about a family with kids, that's more plane tickets, more meals that you have to worry about, it's typically better to look ahead of the schedule and see what are the best times of year to travel, if you have some flexibility, and also what are some ways we can reduce costs, whether that's travel hacking with credit cards, shopping around for deals on Google Flights and looking at alerts, You have to do a little bit of effort, but you get so much reward out of this. You're able to have a meaningful and fun family vacation while still keeping it affordable. By the way, if you are looking for ways to save more money and revamp your budget, don't forget we have a free course called 5 Days to 5K that will walk you through how to find, save, and earn some extra cash for your goals, including travel. All you have to do is sign up at simplifyandenjoy.com slash 5K. Special thanks to Justin for sharing his travel hacks. If you want to learn more and get all the details from his family adventures, please visit rootofgood.com. I'll include a link to some of my favorite posts of his, as well as other handy resources over in the show notes, including how you can travel hack your next family vacation. Just visit Simplify and Enjoy. Next week on the podcast, May is here. Now is a wonderful time to do some financial spring cleaning and simplify your lives. Linda and Bob are coming on the podcast to discuss how families can reset things and have a rich life. So if you don't want to miss out on that episode, make sure you're subscribed. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme was by Staircases, with additional music by various artists over at Audio. Finally, and most importantly, I want to say thank you, not just for listening, but for being a part of the community. Every tweet, review, and share you post gets the word out, so more families can simplify things and enjoy what truly matters. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.